Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoy the following message. Good morning. How are we? Good, man. It is good to be with you. Good to see all of you here this morning. What a great day it is as we get to send off seniors. Uh, this, we're going to wrap up our service by presenting new, more new members, and so it's a great day. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. It's a good, day, good day to see all your faces, so thank you for being here. For those of you watching online and worshiping with us online, we're grateful for you, and we're thankful that you would take the time to worship with us this morning. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, so go ahead and turn there, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our series called As It Is in Heaven. As It Is in Heaven. I believe it's God's desire that the church, His bride, be an embassy on earth as it is in heaven. So we are representatives of what's happening in heaven, right? So when he says that you are going to be my ambassadors, we're going to talk about that more this morning. When he says that you are my ambassadors, my representatives, what he's saying here is that you represent me on this earth. It's a huge responsibility. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But as we continue this series, we're going to be answering the question, how do we live in this world and not be of the world. Remember last week we talked about the, 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 the tension that we live in, right? That we live in the kingdom of the world. But if you have said yes to Jesus, if you've placed your faith and trust in Him, He says that you are now a citizen of a new kingdom. That is, that's His kingdom. And so we live on the kingdom of the world, but we live for the kingdom of God on this earth as we live under the reign and the rule of Christ. So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next 16 to 18 weeks. Yes, that's a long time, but I promise it's going to be just, we're going to be fine. It's going to be fun. Until then, I want to share this with you. In 1984, 1984, the Chicago Bulls made the greatest decision in franchise history. What was it? That's right. They drafted one Michael Jordan out of the University of North Carolina. Most of you know Michael goes on to be, become a star for the Bulls and arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. In our home, he's what, Lane? What is Michael Jordan? What is he? He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. We talked about this this morning. Raise him up in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. We're a Michael Jordan home. We're not about LeBron. It's okay. It's all right. He knows. So they draft Michael Jordan. Five years goes by, and they fall short of a championship time and time and time again. So after all of that, they decide, you know what, we're going to make a franchise change, and they end up hiring in 1989 a guy named Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson shows up, he comes into the locker room, and he recognizes that they have an identity crisis. It was the problem for the Bulls. There was an identity crisis. See, at, at that point in, their, in those five years, they were expecting Michael Jordan to be the one who was going to win them that championship that they longed for. But what Phil knew is that one man can't do it. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter if you're the GOAT, doesn't matter if you're the greatest of all time, one person cannot win a championship. And so he adopted this slogan and he called it this. He said, we are going to surrender the me for the we. We're going to surrender the me for the we. It went from self-reliance to team reliance. And what happened next was that the Bulls would go on to win the next three championships in 1990 to 1993, 
And then after a brief hiatus, right, they would end up winning a consecutive, three more consecutive championships in 1995 to 1998. But here's the point of the story. Here's the reason why I tell you this. The shift in the team's identity set the agenda for their future influence and success. The shift in the team's identity set the agenda for future influence and success. And that's our main point this morning, and, and that is this. Our identity shapes the scope of our influence. Here's what I mean by that. Our identity as the children of God shapes the nature and the scope of our influence on earth for Him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. If you're willing and able, I'd invite you to stand as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Read along with me here. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Jesus says, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and be trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that, that's a purpose statement, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So in this text, Jesus is talking about two things. Two things are on Jesus' mind, the one being influence, the other one being identity. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about influence. And so I want to begin with influence. What, is, what do we mean when we're talking about influence? What do we mean by that? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines it like this. It is the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or behavior of someone or something, or the effect itself. I'll say that again. It's the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something, or the effect itself. And so when we're talking about influence, Jesus makes two declarative statements. Number one, he says this, that you are the salt of the earth. It's a declarative statement. You are the salt of the earth. The second one is, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, but we've got to understand, well, what does he mean by this? What does Jesus mean when he says that you were salt? What does he mean when he says that you were the light of the world? Well, salt in Jesus' day was used for two different things. First, salt was used as a natural preservative of foods. It worked to prevent spoilage and to extend life. That was its basic, as its most basic function, right, is to prevent spoilage and to extend life. Now, you may be wondering, well, what in the world does that have to do with me in the 21st century, 2022, in Belton, Texas, as a member of First Baptist Belton? What in the world does that have to do with me? Well, I think it has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with me in this room. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's painting a picture for you. He's painting a picture for us as a church that as his people, we are to be a natural preservative of life in the world. I want you to think about that. Jesus is designed for his church. It's a declarative statement. You are salt. You are a natural preservative of life on this earth, meaning he has designed us in such a way 
right, that we ought to be the people on the earth to preserve life, not destroy life. And so here's what I want you to think about this morning. In, in relationship with people, in conversations, do people walk away from your interactions built up or torn down? Do you have a positive bent or do you have a negative bent? Are people drawn to you or are they drawn away from you? See, to be a person of light means that you add, you, you extend life. You don't rob life. Now, let's get a little bit closer to home. Your social media account. You know, the problem with social media is that there's, there's no accountability. You can say whatever you want to say, when you want to say it, and you know what? There's no accountability to that, is there? What, is your, what does your social media account look like? Does it extend life? Does it destroy life? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it helpful or is it unhelpful? Does it extend life on this earth? When people see you and they interact with you, do they go, man, I don't really know that person very well, but I'll tell you what, they know the key to life by their joy, by their kindness, by their goodness, by their grace, by the way they encourage. Would people describe you in that way? So salt is a natural preservative, but also it works like it does today. It adds flavor to food. It adds flavor to food. I don't know about you, but I love salt. I have a problem with salt. You can ask my family. It's terrible. Now my kids are inheriting that habit. Uh, it's going to be fine. We're going to be good. We have bad hearts, but the Lord will work it out. The question here is this. Does your life add flavor to the world? Does your life add flavor to the world? Again, back to your conversations, back to the way you interact with people, back to your social media account. Does it add a flavor to the world? Does it add a seasoning to the world where people go, man, this person, this man, this woman, man, they know the key to life. They know the road to life. When Jesus says that the, the, the way to life is through him, do they go, man, they, they figured it out? Or do they walk away from you going, golly, all that person does is gossip. Man, all that person does is breed negativity. Man, all that person does, you can fill in the blank. We've got to be a people who naturally preserve life. We've got to be a people who add flavor to, the life, to life. But he also says this. He says that, that his people are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth, but you're also the light of the world. When I think of this, I think of a lighthouse. Don't you? When you think of being the light of the world, you think about a lighthouse, I think of the lighthouse of Alexandria. Maybe you've seen a postcard, almost every postcard that has a lighthouse in it is the, the lighthouse of Alexandria. Lighthouse, it makes me think of the lighthouse for two particular reasons. Number one, number one, lighthouses are built as a directional aid for ships to locate the harbor. So on a dark night, waves crashing, right? They need to know where is the safe place to land. Where, where's the harbor? Where do I need to go? It's a directional aid, a directional tool. But then also, it's also a safety measure. Oftentimes, the shoreline was too shallow. There's submerged rocks that if not avoided, the, that would wreck the ship. And so the lighthouse screams, hey, listen, safety is over here. Come here. This is where the harbor is. So you may be thinking again, like salt, well, what does that have to do with me? How can my life be a lighthouse on this earth? Well, I think it's this way. I think the thing we've got to ask is, do people see our lives as a directional tool that directs them, directs people to a safe, eternal 
destination. Who does your life point to? Who or what does your life point to? Secondly, we must ask people, do they see our lives as a directional tool that helps them avoid wreckage and destruction? If somebody was following you, would you lead them off a cliff? You know that saying, oh man, they'd they'd follow that person off a cliff. Is that you? Are you leading people off a cliff or are you leading them to a safe destination, a safe eternal destination? Are you leading them off a cliff or are you leading them to Jesus? Are you a lighthouse? Are you leading them towards wreckage? Does your life, by the nature of the way that you live, lead them towards destruction or does it lead them towards eternal security? So Jesus, he talks about the scope of our influence, but then here's what he does. He talks about our identity. Identity is a topic of conversation that happens a lot among young people. Well, who am I? Why am I here? Well, Jesus answers those questions in this passage, crazy enough. As a matter of fact, identity is defined like this by the Oxford Dictionary. He defines there, the dictionary defines it like this. It's the fact of being or what a person or thing is. It answers the question, who are you? So in this text, again, Jesus answers that, and he says that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's saying that is who you are, fundamental to who you are as his people. You are the salt. You are the light. And I want you to notice that he doesn't tell you to go be the salt. He doesn't say go be the light. He says that you are the salt. You are the light. By your very nature, if you have placed your faith and your trust in him, you have began a relationship with him, he says, then you are my people. You are my family. You have been adopted into his family. You are the beloved, and because you are the beloved, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I want you to know that there is nothing in the world that can provide light and direction like God's people. There is nothing in the world. This is plan A. You are plan A. I'm plan A. Our church is plan A here in Bell County. There is nothing in the world that can provide light and direction like God's people. Not doctors, not politicians, not activists. No one earth can offer life, hope, and direction like God's people. Listen, you have been placed uniquely in this time in this place to be who you are where you are. You have been uniquely placed by God where you are to be who you are, to be salt and light. And so, yes, that that transcends into your workplace. God didn't just place you there to make a buck. He placed you there to be salt and light. God didn't place you in that neighborhood, in that home, for you to just live there He placed you there so that you would be salt and light, so that you would let your light shine before men, that they may give glory to 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 your God who is in heaven. God didn't place you in that school, in that classroom, in that seat for you just to make a grade. He placed you there so that you would be salt and light. God has placed you right where you are so that you would be who you are. Now, here's the deal. The world may say that you're a businessman, a businesswoman, a teacher, a coach, a husband, or a wife, father or mother, grandmother, grandfather. 
could be a son, a daughter, a student, wealthy or poor, but here's what God says of you. If you have placed your faith and trust in him, then you are his child. He has adopted you, Ephesians 1, chapter 1 says. He has blessed you in the beloved, and because he has done that, he has given you his spirit in which we cry, Abba, Father, we are his children, and by the very nature that we are his children, we are his salt and light. We are his representatives on this earth. In verse 16, he provides the scope of this influence. He says, in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others. And here's that purpose statement. If you write in your Bible, I would encourage you to do this. Circle the words, so that. Let your light shine before others for the purpose that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want you to see this. Salt's primary purpose Salt's primary purpose is to be expended for the purpose of preserving life and adding flavor to what is otherwise bland. Salt's primary purpose. In the same way, light's primary purpose is to be seen and to shed light on what is otherwise in darkness. Therefore, our goal is to bring glory to God by being used of Him to preserve life, to add flavor to the world, to shed light on the darkness and to be seen as a directional marker pointing to Jesus as the Savior of all people. That is the reason why you exist. That is the reason why God has placed you where he has placed you, so that you would be salt and light, where you would expose the darkness, where you would push back the darkness, and you would usher in light by your very person, by the way you live, by the way you talk, by the way you think, by the way that you act. All of those things ought to say, hey, this is light. This is God penetrating the darkness through you by his spirit. That when you enter in the room, Satan ought to go, oh no, what are we going to do? Light's here. It's not so that you make a buck. It's not so that you make a grade. It's not, it's not so that you can just live and play in your beautiful green backyard. It's so that you would be light. In darkness. That's his, that's his purpose for you. That's his plan for you. That's his plan for me. But I want you to see that we have a problem. Christianity has a problem. This is a serious problem. It's a significant problem. You have to understand this morning that this kind of identity and this kind of influence cannot be manufactured. It cannot be manufactured. In the near ancient East, refineries did not exist like they do today. So in modern days, today, refineries will take salt, it's a natural compound, and it has to be refined to remove out the dust and other particles from it to make it pure and safe. That's what happens today. In the near ancient East, they didn't have this procedure. They were without this process. So oftentimes, salt would end up mixed in with dirt. It would come up on the seashore, right? And because of its dissolving properties, it would dissolve into the sand. And what would end up happening is it would leave this kind of white powdery substance along the sand. But the problem is, is that while it looked like salt, it neither tasted like salt, nor was it salt to begin with. It looked like salt, it acted like salt, but it was actually never salt to begin with. I think this rings true for many people who might identify as Christians. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they've attended a Christian school. Maybe they've attended Bible studies. They have Christian friends, all of these things, they've adopted the lingo, or maybe they have the look of a Christian. 
If you're around us long enough, you'll begin to start looking like us, talking like us, thinking like us maybe. But there's a significant problem. You can look like salt, you can act like salt, but actually never be salt. You can look like salt, you can act like salt, you can think like salt, but in all actuality, you can be just dirt. Listen, Christianity is not about a look, it's not about a lingo. It's not about anything other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Listen, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, hear me, I'm going to tell you the truth. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ where he is making you new, you are not a Christian. You're not a Christian. You might look like salt. You may look like a Christian. You may even talk like a Christian. But if you do not have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you're not a Christian. You're dirt dressed up like salt. And here's what Jesus has to say about that. In verse 13, the latter half of verse 13, he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He said, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What Jesus is saying here is salt is salt. Salt is salt. For it to be anything else is useless. In fact, salt can be nothing other than salt. Christians can only be one thing. That is a Christian. It can't be manufactured. And for those of us who are attempting to manufacture salt, listen, their identity will find them out. Your identity is going to find you out. Jesus says that they will know us by our fruit. If it's a manufactured fruit, it's going to decay. It's going to decay. But if it's true fruit, if it's abiding fruit, as John 15 talks about, then it is going to bear more and more and more and more and more fruit. Is your life bearing fruit? If it's not, I want you to ask one question. Do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if I do, if I do, what, what, what Jesus is going to say there in John chapter 15 is that your life ought to bear more and more and more fruit. There's no room in the kingdom for fruitless trees. So if we're going to be representatives, if we're going to be ambassadors, we need to ensure that our roots are connected to the true vine, who is Jesus. Our fundamental uh, solution to this problem is that we need a fundamental change in identity. Maybe many of us who are in the room are even going, man, I need to think through this. What we need more than anything else is we need, that God, we need God, through the person and work of Jesus, to enter into the world and begin rewriting our story. Phil Jackson, he walks into the locker room of the Chicago Bulls in 1989, recognizes that there needed to be an identity change. There was an identity crisis. Well, so too does Jesus when we surrender our lives to him. He begins to shift our identity. Our identity no longer goes from being a, a child of wrath, as Ephesians 2 tells us, but we become a child of God, a child of the king. We're no longer an orphan. We are now a son, a daughter. There's a radical change in identity that takes place in our lives when we begin that relationship with Christ. Now, if you are in Christ this morning, here's the deal. We need to step into our identity, right? 
So if if you're apart from Christ this morning, you need a new identity. If you're in Christ this morning, then you need to step into your identity. Again, you need to recognize that God has you where you are so that you live who you are, that you live out who you are. We need to step into a new identity or we need to step up into our identity, take ownership of our identity, understand that this is God's design and purpose for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. You're going to get tired of this because we're going to talk about it all throughout this series. Paul, he writes, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, have placed their faith and their trust in him, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says, all of this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. How can you be a minister of someone that you do not know? How can you be a minister of a kingdom in which you are not a citizen of? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors of Christ. We are his embassy on this earth. God is making his appeal through us. We're salt and light. Therefore, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, don't miss this. For those who are in Christ this morning, who are on his team, in his family, he begins to rewrite the narrative of your life by making you a new creation. This does not just happen at justification, but it also bleeds into our sanctification as well. These are two fancy words. Justification just simply means that when you say yes to him, when you surrender your life to him, place your faith and trust in him, he makes you justified. You are now right before a holy God through the person and work of Jesus. Wow. Don't get over that. Don't get over that. But also, not only has he made you new, but he is making you new. It bleeds over into my sanctification. Sanctification is this, that once I've been justified, you now enter into sanctification. It's this process of being made holy, being made to look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. Listen, since you have started that relationship with Christ, you ought to look different today than you did that day. There ought to be a fundamental change in you. Just like when I married Jordan, right? My relationship, because of my relationship with her, I am different, Lord willing, hopefully, babe, I hope I'm the different, than from the day that I said yes and I married her on June 9th. Right? Over these years, God has used her to sanctify me, to make me look more like Christ, and, and he has used me to make her look more like Christ in the same way when you begin a relationship with Jesus you will not be the same person in the way you think, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you love. You will be different. Are you different? Has God, is God making you new? If he's not, we need to go back to square one. We need to go back to square one. Here's what this looks like. I want to give you a picture of what it looks like. We talked about it last week. By being made new, God enables us by the power of His Spirit to live as His people. We ought to be a people who are growing in in, in our poor in spirit. We ought to be a people who are mournful over our sin and the sin and the brokenness of the world. We ought to be a people who are meek, who are quiet, who are humble. 
We ought to be a people who are growing in our hunger and thirst for righteousness. We, might, we ought to be a people who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, who are actively making peace on this earth. And because of all of this, Jesus says you can expect to be persecuted. Not because of what you're doing for you, but because of what you're doing for the kingdom. He said, this is what you ought to look like. You ought to grow in these things. If you're not growing in these things, come talk to me. There's a problem. Because here's why all of this matters. Here's why all of this matters. We are all influencers. Did you know that? Did you know that you're an influencer in this room? Every one of us. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. You are an influencer in this room. And so for better or worse, we're always influencing someone to something or to some other person. The question that we've got to ask as we consider what God has for us this morning is who are we influencing and what are we influencing them toward? What does your life say? If your life was a book, what would people read? If your life was a book, maybe a blog post for some of you, If your life was a book, what would people read? By living a life empowered by the Spirit in relationship with Jesus, we are to embody His character in the world, and in turn, we become His kingdom influencers on this earth. We are an embassy. We are representatives. But who and what are we representatives of? A representative of Jesus, his kingdom, his reign, and his rule on earth that people would look at you and go, wow, man, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it wouldn't just land there, but then they would be compelled to say, hey, I I want that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what I need to do, but I want that. And so here's my challenge to you this morning. If you have a pen, write these down. Here's my challenge for you. You need to know your identity. Who are you? Who are you? Know your identity. Number two, I want you to know the scope of your influence. Who has God placed in your life around you? We all have our own little network that God has placed in our life, whether that's family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. Who is in your sphere of influence that God has placed you to be who you are, to be salt and light to them? Who are those people? We all have them. And then number three, big challenge. I want you to live your life as salt and light by being wrung out for the kingdom of God. To be wrung out for the kingdom of God, leveraging your life for his kingdom, for his reign and his rule, not your kingdom, not your reign and rule, but God's reign and rule on this earth. That's what I'm praying for our church. That's what I'm praying for you and even my life. I'm I'm praying that you and I would begin to take the gospel seriously, to take God's word so seriously that it would overspill into everyday life so that people would go, wow. And this person knows the way to life. This person knows the way to life. Let's pray. you to take some time, and I want you to consider, who are you? Who are you?
what kingdom are you living for? Are you living for the kingdom of God or are you living for the kingdom of the world? How would the people in your sphere of influence answer that question about you? Would they say, wow, man, this person lives for something more, something greater, something bigger? And then I want you to take some time and I want you to just ask God, say, God, who is in my scope of influence? Who have you given, my, given to me in my life for the purpose of influencing them toward you? even write these down. Write the names down. God, this is who you've called me to influence toward you. And maybe that's just one person. Start with one. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker, neighbor, classmate. Who's the one person that you have called me to minister to, to care for, to influence toward you? to be a lighthouse, to be salt. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, ask God rather, God, what do I need to do in order to make this happen in my life? What do I need to cut out? What do I need to stop saying? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to consider? If I'm gonna be an influencer for your kingdom, what? What are some of those things that I need to let go of? Maybe it's time, recognizing that, you know what, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna carve, I'm gonna have to carve out some time for this. I'm gonna have to budget for this. And maybe I just need to consider the way that I talk, consider my language, consider my, my mental thoughts. Maybe I just need to be more grateful. Maybe I need to be more kind, more loving. And then just say, God, help me. Help me to be exactly who I am, where I am. Empower me to do that, God. God, you are a God who has a plan. You're a God who takes chaos and brings order out of the world. There's so much brokenness in this world, God, and yet you have placed us in this time here in Belton, Texas, in Bell County in 2022 to be salt and light. God, I pray that you would help us to not forsake that calling to not relegate that to a select few, but to recognize that we are all ministers of reconciliation. If you're in Christ, we are a, we're ministers of reconciliation, every single one of us. Father, we are so grateful for you. We're grateful for the work that you're doing in and through us. We just ask, God, that you would continue to do that, that you would send us from this place. 
to influence people toward your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Listen, if you're in this room and, and maybe you're in that category that I talked about just a second ago where, man, maybe you just didn't, you, you never really began that relationship with Jesus. Well, here's a challenge for you. Remember, we're all salt and light. For those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, we are all salt and light. We are ministers of reconciliation. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. Look to your neighbor and say, hey, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want a relationship with Jesus. And you know what? I bet they'll be able to help you do that. We're all ministers of reconciliation. Not just the pastors, not just a select group of people, but man, we are all been called to be ministers of reconciliation, called on this earth to help people be reconciled to God, to our Father, to our King. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. You can talk with me after the service. I'd love to talk with you. You can go right out these doors, the Connection Central. They'd love to talk with you about how you can begin that relationship. But we want you to not leave this room without saying yes to Jesus. Okay? Let's sing. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.